Okay. Okay. All right. Welcome to Elevate. Hope you guys are having a good time. Addy Joe's going to attempt to clean this up. Okay. We're going to keep moving. A um, couple things before we get started. First of all, um, who here has heard of the Light the Night for Life fun glow run thing? Raise your hand. Yeah. Okay. Who here is signed up? Who here is signed up to go to that? Raise your hand. Okay. That's what I thought. So, Light the Night for Life Glow Run is a, like a, a, a charity event where you can pay to give money to the Liberty Women's Clinic, which, help, which helps pregnant ladies with their pregnancies. And it's super cool. It's really cool. But what's cool about it is beforehand, they're going to have a festival, and they will have a dunk tank at the festival, which I will be dunked at. So you guys should totally go and see that. Um, also, my friend Andrew Sharp. Is he in the room? Raise your hand, Andrew. Okay, he must be outside getting pizza. Oh, okay, he's right here. Okay. Andrew Sharp, he's also going to be dunked. So, and also, uh, Pastor Sean from Journey Church is also going to be dunked as well. So you guys definitely want to be there. But it's this Sunday, October 3rd, this Sunday. And just go to the lightthenightforlife.com to register. I really hope to see you guys there. I'll be sending out an email tomorrow with all the info. So I hope to see you guys there. Um, but tonight, we're going to continue our series, Back to the Movies. Um, two weeks ago, I started off and I did Toy Story. I thought that was pretty cool. Last week, I was not here, but Pastor Aaron let it. He did Bugs Life. I heard his voice was gone. I don't know. Can people confirm that for me? Was his voice gone? Okay. His voice was like shattered from what I've heard. Um, but tonight, you know, we did Toy Story, then we did Bugs Life, and I was like, you know, those movies are great, but they're kind of like cartoons. So I thought I would spice it up just a little bit tonight. So let's watch the trailer for the movie we're showing tonight. Let's watch.
right, Avengers Infinity War. Who here saw that in theaters when it came out? Zach saw it three times, of course he did, of course he did. In, in case you guys don't know, in case you guys don't know, Avengers Infinity War is about the Avengers and they're in an infinity war. Um, no, but it's, it's, they're facing against the biggest villain they faced yet, Thanos, okay? And Thanos has this idealized version of his universe with half of all existence wiped out. And he, has, he says he has good reasons for it, right? And he's, he's basically, something I've noticed, he's basically out there trying to create an ideal universe to live in. He's basically creating, trying to create paradise, but just through the wrong methods. He believes he's creating this ideal paradise. And of course, you know, the Bible talks a lot about paradise, that when we, when we die, that if you believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will go to paradise, which is heaven. And we get a small description of that in Revelation chapter 21. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall, be there, shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So how good of a place that would be, right? Where there's no pain, there's no death, there's no tears at all. You know, I'm, I don't know about you guys, but I've been on the earth for about 23 years now. And already I'm just sick and tired of pain, right? I'm sick and tired of tears, sick and tired of sadness, sick and tired of being sick and tired. Like... You know, I'm tired of it. Like, I'm, I've only been here for 23 years. Now, I believe God has a really great future, and he's redeeming us, but we're not in heaven yet. And growing up, I remember, you know, I was in kindergarten, I remember thinking and imagining what heaven would be like. And the first picture that I imagined was just a place with just a bunch of clouds. You just jump on a bunch of clouds like trampolines and stuff. And so I was curious. I looked online of different artistic depictions of heaven. So let's throw up the first one real quick. Okay, so this, this rendition of it has a lot, of, like, a lot of clouds, like I was thinking. It's got the big golden gates. I'm trying to get out of people's way here. I'll just stand over here. It's got lots of clouds. It's got the golden gates. It's got all the things. Um, so this one's pretty standard. It's got lots of like architecture and stuff. So let's put up the next one, next depiction of it. Okay, so it's kind of got like, you know, it's a nice little meadow and there's some sort of animal down there. And you can't really see it, but it's a big castle. Kind of reminds me of Disney a little bit. So I think heaven could be like Disney World, maybe. I don't know. Okay, let's throw up the next one here. Okay, this one. I thought this one was interesting. I know it's probably not originally. The person who made this probably wasn't thinking heaven. But I'll tell you, the caption on Google said, artistic depiction of heaven. And then it had this picture. So... So, I don't know. I mean, it, it's very futuristic. Um, it's kind of weird. Let's put up the next one. Okay, so this one's, this one's pretty. Like, you can imagine there's some place just, you know, maybe in Florida or something. There's a bunch of stairs with flowers around it. But then what's crazy is re the related image to this one, let's just throw, I can't even describe it, was this. It's like the same picture, but from a slightly different angle, but with cats. I don't know what the person was thinking. <laughs> like you can see that the cat in the, the left side is batting this like red cloud or something. I don't know. Somebody, I really have no explanation for that. I really don't. 
All right, let's get, let's get that off the screen. Get it on the screen. We can't keep looking at that. It's okay. So obviously we have a lot of different images and depictions of what heaven looks like. But the interesting thing is when Jesus walked on earth, he very rarely talked about heaven as a place to end up and mostly as a place to create on earth. Right? So let's read the scripture. When Jesus talks about heaven, he's talking about a kingdom on earth. And Matthew 10, 5 through 7 says, These 12 disciples Jesus sent out, and he instructed them and said, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town among the Samaritans. You know, he's giving them instructions. He's saying, But rather go to the lost sheep in the house of Israel, and everywhere you go, proclaim as you go. It says, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's interesting to me is it seems that there are very many Christians here on earth that are just trying to survive to get to heaven. That there's a lot of Christians, a lot of churches that are built to be, really just to be safe houses and strongholds. We're going to dig a moat around our church. We're not going to allow any of the world to touch it. We're going to just safeguard ourselves. We're going to get to heaven, but it might be at the grit of our teeth. We're going to get there. But Jesus never talked about heaven that way. In fact, he always said it's our responsibility to bring heaven down. He said it's to bring heaven down. Even in the Lord's Prayer, you know, the famous prayer that Jesus taught us how to pray. There's the line, Matthew 6.10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the prayer that Jesus is instructing us to pray regularly. On earth as it is in heaven. Another passage, he says, Luke 17, it says, Jesus once was asked by the Jewish leaders, When will God's kingdom come? And he responded, God's kingdom does not come simply by obeying principles or waiting for signs. So it doesn't come by just obeying the law and waiting for a sign to come. The kingdom is not discovered in one place or another, for God's kingdom realm is already expanding inside of you. God's kingdom of heaven is already expanding inside some of us here. God's kingdom, we're not, it's not some place we're going to wait for. Jesus clearly said it's not a place we are waiting to get, but is in fact already expanding inside the hearts of us here. The amazing thing is that if you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior at some point in your life, that means the kingdom of heaven is inside of you right now. That means the kingdom of heaven that is inside of you. Something that's important to realize, though, is while we are on earth, the kingdom of heaven has a very, very real enemy. A very real enemy. A recent study has shown that about 60% of Christians in America don't believe the existence of Satan. Or they believe that he just is a representation of evil, but he was never a real being. 60%. Isn't that crazy? 60%. This was done in 2016. 60% of Christ, people who say they are Christians in America believe that Satan was not a real thing or he was just a symbol for evil. But that's simply not true. Satan wants to do whatever he can to stop the kingdom of heaven from expanding. And the first thing we need to do is we need to recognize that we have a very real enemy opposing us and attacking us. We have a very real enemy that we need to recognize as a threat. You know, in our movie Avengers Infinity War, they have a very real enemy in Thanos. And they have conflicts with him, obviously. So let's watch one of the conflicts with him right now. Let's watch. All right, so obviously, obviously Thanos is an extremely powerful being. 
because I don't know if you guys watch Marvel movies or not, but almost each one of those characters had their own movie, some of them even three, where they're defeating majorly huge bad guys, and they're all together, can't even defeat Thanos. Uh, just quick spoiler, he gets out of that hold, by the way. But he, he, can't, he can't do that. Like, they, they can't even combine to defeat his efforts. But I want you to imagine, because they know that Thanos exists, but what if at the beginning of the movie, they don't see Thanos as an actual being, but just as a metaphor for evil. They wouldn't see him as an actual threat, but just a metaphor for evil, which is very a passive thing to say. And what would happen is Thanos would go and conquer and do everything he can unchecked. But because they saw him as an actual threat, they did something about it and started taking ground. They started taking ground. They started seeing him as an actual threat and started seeing him realistically. He knows, no, Satan, he knows he cannot stop God. He knows he can't do anything about God. He's too smart for that. He knows he can't come up against God and defeat him. But what he's going to do instead is to stop God's work and God's power by lying and deceiving you. If he can stop God's work in your life, he's effectively stopped God to you. If he can stop God moving in your life by lying to you, then he's effectively stopped God from working in your life, and it might as well be that God doesn't exist to you. If he can, stop, if he can get you to believe that God, doesn't, if God isn't powerful. If he can get you to believe that you are weak and powerless, he's stopping the kingdom of God inside of you. If he can get you to believe that you're just depressed, and that's just your personality, and that's just who you are, then he, and, and there's nothing you can do. If he gets you to believe that there's nothing you can do about it, then effectively the kingdom of God to your depression doesn't exist. If you believe there's nothing you can do about it, and if you believe that God can't do anything about it. He can't stop God and he knows it, but he can stop God's work by lying to you. And so we need to be aware of the enemy's schemes, and we need to be aware that he is not just a metaphor for evil, but he is a being that is trying to stop the kingdom of God. You know, the truth is that God will not force himself inside of you, right? That God won't do things that you don't allow. He needs to be invited in. Think about it this way. Let's say, let's say you have a friend who wants to be your accountability partner for lifting weights. He wants, he's there for you. He's like, okay, I'm going to be your accountability partner. I'm going to help you lift weights every morning at 5.30 in the morning. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to give you calls. I'm going to, be, I'm going to keep you accountable. But the problem is that if you don't want the accountability partner, then it's like nothing. It's, it, he might as well not even try because it's just going to get annoying. Because what's going to happen is, you're, that's great, you're going to have a loyal friend who's going to call you every morning at 5.30 and scream into your ear about lifting weights. And what are you going to do? You're probably just going to tell him, hey, shut up, I'm going to go back to sleep. Like, I'm not going to do that because I didn't want that. It's, it's like that. God's not going to force himself onto you like that, but he has to be invited in. Accountability partners are only uh, positive if they are invited in and you allow the accountability in. Accountability is only effective if it's invited and just the same way, God's power is only effective if it's allowed and it's invited. You know, Jesus' name gives us the authority to do, to take ground and the power, to take over the power of the works of the enemy. You know, one of the biggest missions that we have as, a Christ, as Christians is to not try to find a way to fit in with the culture or even to deal with the culture, but it's to bring the kingdom, the culture of the kingdom of heaven down here. You know, we can't just wait for it to happen someday until we're old and we die. We have to declare the kingdom of heaven now in our lives, in our schools, in our families, in our churches. 
And here's one of my main points tonight is it is our responsibility as the church to declare war over the enemy. It is our responsibility as Christians, it is your responsibility as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, to declare war over the works of the enemy. You know, the Bible says that we are in constant warfare here on earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion against the knowledge of God. You know, we have weapons of warfare. They are strong and they are powerful, and we use them to declare war on the works of the enemy. Because the truth is, every bad thing that is happening in this world right now goes back because, goes, is because of the works of the enemy. Every bad thing that is happening in the world right now is because of the works of the enemy. And just like Thanos, it has to be kept, it has to be kept checked. We have to keep checking that and keep taking advances and taking ground in that. You know, it doesn't, like I said, every bad thing that's happening in the world right now is because of the works of the enemy. It doesn't matter which corporation is doing those works, right? It doesn't matter which person is moving it along. We can't get angry at the corporations and the people. We have to be angry at the spirit behind that. I've talked about that before. But we have to make sure we're directing our aim at the right thing. It all has the same spiritual root, which is the enemy. Until you get angry at the right thing, your anger will be misguided and aimed at a child of God. Until you direct your anger at the right root, your anger will be mis misguided and directed towards a child of God, which we're not justified to do. You know, in our movie, our team, the team Avengers, they meet an unlikely group of people and a weird thing happens when they collide. So let's check it out and let's watch what happens. <laughs> wow, I'm impressed. You guys really, some of you guys really know that movie. But as you can see, until you focus your anger at the right, 
being, at the right person, it'll be, it'll be aiming your weapon at a fellow soldier. Until you focus your anger, until you point your weapon at the right thing to point at, you'll be aiming your weapon at a fellow soldier, which is our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, the, the Democratic Party is not the enemy. The Republican Party is not the enemy. Terrorists, I would say, even aren't the enemy. Terrorism is the enemy. But the people, they are children of God. Obviously, people need to be held accountable for their actions. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying we need to direct our anger at the right thing, or otherwise we're aiming it at a child of God. I'm going to read this again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And so tonight I'm going to tell you there are many weapons we can use in our warfare, but I'm going to, tell, I'm going to focus on just one of those. And here's my main point tonight is prayer is the primary weapon of our warfare. Simple as that. Prayer is the primary weapon of our warfare. Prayer is one of the single greatest weapons we have to declare war. Why? I believe it's because God, that talking to God, because prayer is powerful when we talk to God and intercede for the other people. You know, I believe, you know, the Bible says we're supposed to love our enemies. And I believe you cannot truly love your enemy if you don't pray for them. Because prayer is the single greatest thing we can do for our enemies. Prayer is the single greatest thing we can do because prayer is connecting with God and agreeing with God's will on their life. And we know that God is love. And everything that God has for every, every single person on the face of the planet that's ever lived is good and loving. And by praying, praying over them, we are praying for good and loving things to happen. We are praying for them to be redeemed. Prayer is declaring war in the spiritual, and that's where the real battle is happening. I believe you cannot say you truly love your enemy if you don't pray for them. But how about this? I, I believe you cannot say you truly love a close friend if you don't pray for them in their time of need. That goes both ways. You cannot say you truly love somebody if you don't pray for them in their time of need. Prayer is where the spiritual war happens. And Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If, you're, if your friend is battling through something, you have to remember that they're not battling in the natural, as it may seem. They're not battling in the natural as much as they are battling in the spiritual. If you have somebody that's going through something, whether that's depression or a hard time, whatever that looks like, they're not battling that in the natural. There are things we could do in the natural, but the battle is happening in the spiritual. The real battle is happening in the spiritual because the Bible says that our enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and he'll do that any way he can. Primary weapon he has is lying. Primary weapon we have is prayer, which is agreeing with God. And James 5:16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that they may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. And I'd like to ask us today, who here is righteous? And the truth is we are all righteous because of Jesus Christ. The prayer of the righteous people, which is the people of Jesus Christ, has great power in its working. And it is our responsibility to take up our weapons of warfare and go to prayer for the sake of our friends and our enemies. And I have one last clip to share, and it's not an Avengers clip, but it's a clip from uh, Pastor Jimmy Evans of a sermon I watched this week. And it's, it's about two and a half minutes long, and he is talking about how important it is to pray for the kingdom of heaven. So let's all watch it together. Is the first mission, the first mention of the early church. This is Matthew 16. You can turn to Matthew 16 there, if you would. 
in your Bibles. This will also come up on the screen. The first mention that Jesus makes of the church, the first time the word church is used is in Matthew 16. This is Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I also say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Interesting, this is my church. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Jesus uses the, front, the, the term gates of Hades the first time he ever says the word church. Well, let's talk about the, the gates of hell. So what is a gate? Okay. A gate is a stationary object designed to keep some people in and other people out. It's a stationary object. You've never been chased by a gate. Okay. Gates are not a problem. They're not going to come find you. You've got to go find them, right? And Jesus says, you're my church, and you're going to attack the gates of hell. And the gates of hell cannot withstand you. Let me say this. So the nature of the church is we're an invasive gate-taking force. In this community in Southlake, in this community in DFW, in America today, there are people being held behind the gates of hell in poverty, in addiction, in abuse, in deception, in darkness. They are being held by Satan behind those gates, and the church and the church alone has the authority to tear those gates off and take those people out. That's who we are. And the first mention in the Bible of the word church, that's what Jesus said. You are a gate-taking, invasive force, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. Listen to me. In any area of America that we decide to take, we can take it. It's our birthright. That's what Jesus said in the beginning. The gates of hell cannot prevail against you. And you say, well, I want to go after drug addicts. The gates of hell cannot prevail against you. I want to do something about poverty. The gates of hell cannot prevail against you. I want to do something about divorce. The gates of hell cannot prevail against you. You're a child of God. You're the army of the most high God. The gates of hell cannot prevail against you. But we have forgotten who we are as a church. So we're not building for war. We're building for spaghetti suppers. And we're getting our clocks clean. All right, so the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. And so as I close tonight, um, I'm just going to ask the worship team. They're going to come back up. But I want to ask you guys a critical question tonight. If you're taking notes, write this down. What are the gates of hell in my school? What are the gates of hell in my family? What are the gates of hell in my life? Because it is our responsibility as Christians, as Jesus followers, as the church, to come up to those gates and to take them. What are the gates of hell in your life, in the surrounding, the areas of influence? We all have areas and circles of influence in our lives. And we have been given responsibility for those areas. You know, I've heard it said that when we get to the end of our life, most people think that we're going to, our biggest regrets are going to be things that we did. But our biggest regrets when we get to the end of life are the things that we didn't do. How, how sad would it be to get to the end of our life and meet Jesus and we didn't do anything about the circles of influence that we have been given? We didn't take ground in those areas. You guys have places that you are at and your schools and your families that, play, that I can't go to. I don't have the same influence that you have at your school with your friends, with your families. I don't have the same influence. Pastor Sean doesn't have the same influence. Pastor Aaron can't go to the school like you can. You guys have influence that I can never reach, and I'm just here to equip and empower you to do that.
And so tonight, let's all stand up tonight as we're going to receive this. And if everyone here would just bow your heads and just close your eyes, we're just going to ask, we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to just pray with us and to reveal to us what we can do about this. This is the time that we can we respond to this message that we've heard. Jesus, I just ask you to fill up every single person in this room. Jesus, just reveal to us what we can do. Reveal to us specific areas of prayer that we can influence. Reveal to us our own gates that we need to come up against and take down and tear down for the kingdom of heaven. Because Jesus, I'm tired of waiting to get to the kingdom of heaven. God, I want it now. I want to bring it down now. That is my role. That is my mission. So, Father, I ask that you just fill us all up tonight and just reveal to us how we can change the world. Jesus, I just thank you for everything that you've done for us. In Jesus' name. I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come ahead and come on down right now. Uh, if you need prayer for, the, for what we talked about tonight, if you need help, there's someone to agree with you, um, or if you need, just need prayer for anything at all, go ahead and come up to one of these people. Um, these people are loving. These guys are amazing. So just go, let's go get prayer, and let's worship together tonight.